and welcome inside my chewy head. It's a place where I unlock my experiences on an acute psychiatric ward in my attempt to open your mind when it comes to mental health. Because 25% of the adult population is currently suffering from a mental health problem. Because over a million people are currently involved in mental health services. And because, if it can happen to me, what's to stop it happening to you? Welcome back and here we are again. So today I'm talking about Sheila and honestly there is so much to say that I'm just going to jump straight in there because it's almost two episodes worth of information with this lady. So Sheila I didn't meet initially because she would spend a lot of time in bed. So when I first met her I assumed that she had depression because she was always in bed. If you did see her she very much didn't want to speak to you. Everything was really negative and she would basically just dismiss you. I don't think she said anything to me in the first couple of weeks I was there because she was quite clearly very depressed and I didn't mind that. I was okay with that. She was probably in her late 30s, early 40s but she looked quite young because she was very, very thin and this was probably because she didn't turn up for meals. She was always encouraged by staff. They were always constantly... She actually was in the room opposite mine so I would hear every morning them being like, come on Sheila, let's get up, let's go and she'd be like, I can't get up. If I get up, the floor will swallow me up and she was always very overdramatic and I would always roll my eyes in bed thinking, oh for goodness sake. But she would never get up for meals and she was literally wasting away, I think. So she was really thin. She had kind of dark, short hair and she just almost, my husband, Louis, would say, do you know, this woman is like, because obviously he would see her occasionally around if she'd been dragged out of bed for her ward round or whatever and he happened to be there because he was waiting for mine or he said, goodness me, she's the poster girl for depression because she just looked so depressed in the way that she came across. You know, she would very occasionally come out if during supper time, so maybe later on in the evening and she would always come out covered in a blanket, even if she was going into a ward around with all of the doctors and always in her pajamas and she just she just seemed really sad and defeated and had no time for anyone but she was also quite difficult to almost pity because she was so irritable much that she didn't want anything to do with anyone and anyone who tried was just annoying and in, in her way and remember there were a couple of times where She'd been persuaded or forced basically to go to the dining room and then she would stand in the queue and then she would like tut or be like, oh, this person's standing too close to me or something and then walk away. So you'd be a bit like, oh, right, okay, she's she's like that then. So I didn't warm to her, I wouldn't say, but I didn't really know her. So, you know, fair enough. So some of the times when I would see her would be kind of later on in the evenings. She wouldn't really speak to anyone. She would just sit there covered in a blanket and if she was persuaded to eat... It would be very dramatic again, because if she ate something, she'd be like, I can feel all the sugar from the cereal I've eaten. It's it's making me feel sick. The milk and the sugar, I think I'm going to be sick. And and then like the staff would reassure her like, no, Sheila, you're fine. You'll be absolutely fine. It's not going to make you ill. But everything was negative. And as I say, she was my neighbour. And so I would hear quite a lot of her activity in her room. And essentially she would lie in bed and she would wail. So she would just kind of like... Yeah, literally wail and rant and rave in frustration, I suppose. But also I found that really strange behaviour because obviously I was depressed and I'd been in a 
a hospital with people who were depressed before and as I say the ones who were severely depressed came across very much as zombies and they didn't really speak or say anything or do anything so in some ways they were similar to her because they would also just lie in bed all day and not take care of their physical appearance or hygiene or anything and not eat weren't there vocally in in their beds wailing so I was a bit like really really Sheila do we need this and do we really need this at midnight when I'm trying to go to sleep like come on now and she would literally like shriek in the night like oh why am I alive I just want to be dead why can't I be dead (laughs) and I was obviously lying there thinking yeah you and me both love but you know be a bit and I suppose for me I was at this stage remember really trying not to give in to my impulses to try and commit suicide or make an attempt on my life or whatever and so to have this person who was making all these loud noises about wanting to kill themselves I was again this is awful but this is what I was thinking I'm just going to be honest I would think oh well well you're not making no offense but if you genuinely are suicidal you're not really making any effort to kill yourself you're just lying in bed screaming about being suicidal and so I I just used to find it frustrated and that was probably a really cruel and nasty thing to think but you know what that was the place I was in at the time so it is what it is right I don't know if she actually did make an attempt on her life I don't think she did in the time that I was there with her the alarm would go off a lot but nobody ever ran to our door so I assume from that that she didn't but anyway time went on and it became kind of clearer that she was making some form of recovery I suppose she started I think that the thing which was the first thing that I noticed was that she was getting dressed she was wanting to wear normal clothes and I remember her and one of the staff members kind of she was talking to me like I don't have any of my clothes like where are all my clothes when I came in I literally came in with what I was wearing I, I look like a clown in this outfit this is ridiculous and I remember them laughing about it and I thought oh, okay maybe she's turning a corner here yeah so she started dressing and then I started seeing her a little bit more at meal times. And then I think she even came on one of the occupational therapy sessions, which you were not allowed to go to unless you had certain independence clearance levels that you could be safe while being technically off the ward. But obviously, you're still in the hospital. You're literally through a set of doors, but certainly was more engaged with the other patients and wanting to talk to you. And, you know, she came across actually at that stage as someone who was a completely different person and she was just so alive. And again, Louis, because obviously he'd come in, he'd seen her and then he was absolutely stunned at the transformation. He was like, wow, like she's so vibrant and and lively and there's so much life in her, like because she was so devoid of that before. Yeah, so I got to talking to her and she was really interested in art and music and she liked to sing at a local micro pub, I think it was called really know she liked open mic nights and she showed me some of her drawings and paintings that she was doing and she would talk about her friends and you know she was just a completely different person because before it was very much a I have no friends I have no future which you know I totally was on that same wavelength of thinking like I have nothing for me in the world anymore I just should kill myself which was obviously part of the depression but it was so lovely to see that aspect of her coming through because I suppose for your own sanity (laughs) sanity on a psych ward hilarious but you know what I mean like for your own peace of mind you had to make kind of snap judgments over people quite quickly or you did anyway automatically and you know oh well this person's friendly enough I could sit with this person at dinner and it would be fine or whatever this person probably won't attack me you know (laughs) just normal things like that and so with her before I'd always given her a wide berth because she was just she wouldn't go out of her way to be horrible to anyone but if someone did something that annoyed her and she or affected her negatively then she would be really vocal about that and you know I wasn't I was in an anxious state anyway so I didn't need that yeah she was actually as it turned out 
really quite a nice person. She really was. And she was so kind. And I remember um, as time went on, she gained more of her independence and she was allowed to go out with Ray and they were allowed to go shopping into town. I remember her coming in and she bought biscuits for everyone on the ward and she was just really nice and generous and stuff. And actually she was doing so well that alongside this leave, there was also talks about her potentially moving towards discharge and I remember she was even allowed to go a a visit obviously escorted but she went to where she was living so she went back to her flat or house or wherever she was living to have a little look because often that's the stage in you being discharged is that you you go home and I suppose if you live on your own that you go home and check that things are because obviously when people are very depressed at times their self-care is so bad that that obviously impacts on the place that they call home and so actually, just while I'm thinking of that, I remember at the previous hospital, the nurse there had said, because they, they actually, because I looked like a sea witch, as I've said previously, when I was on both of these hospitals, because obviously I didn't have any hair appointments. I didn't really give a shit about what I looked like at all. I looked honestly awful. And I remember one of the occupational health team there had said to me like, oh, we know a lady in town and she sometimes cuts patients' hair if, if you're interested in that. And I was like, what are you trying to say, love? But actually it was quite, I think she was just trying to be nice to me. But anyway, and then I, I mentioned this to the nurse that I really liked. And she said, yeah, we often have patients who come in, or not often, but they did have frequent, I suppose, fairly frequent occasions of patients coming in who had been depressed and been bedridden for so long and gone under the radar because perhaps they didn't have close family or friends who were looking in on them and checking they were okay. And then they were discovered in a state of, you know, mass depression and I suppose a bit more like a vegetative state. And basically their hair would become so matted, you wouldn't be able to brush it. You know, it would just be like a massive nest almost their hair and they would have to have it's chopped off but that just tells you kind of you know if you're able to get yourself in that sort of state then it's not surprising is it that they need to just assess your home situation before they let you let you out but anyway so she was she was making really good progress and people were really pleased to see how she was coming along and I thought wow okay here's a depressed woman who has turned herself around she seems really happy and you know good for her it was was nice to see because I thought oh she'll probably be gone before Christmas and that was a big thing for me I really wanted to be out by Christmas and then obviously I wasn't but I thought well if not me then her maybe but then I noticed that things started to turn a bit more and actually some of her vibrancy kind of became almost a little bit too vibrant and some of her chatty warm nature became maybe a little bit too intense and so for example she would come and sit with you at dinner she wouldn't have even got her her dinner at this point because obviously you have to queue up and get your meal she would just rush over to you and then sit down (laughs) and just start talking at you and she would literally just talk at you for the whole time that you were there and then like dinner would nearly be over and they'd be like Sheila do you actually want some food and she'd be like "Oh, oh yeah 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 and then she would be up and she'd be engaging in another conversation with another staff member and she it would just be like verbal diarrhea and a lot of what she said as well when you listen to what she was actually saying you're a bit like okay what what <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um and I suppose you get used to people saying kind of strange things when you're in a psych ward but because obviously she had presented in quite like a level-headed positive person at this stage it was it kind of took you a back a bit when you were like what you're a famous singer I don't think you are a famous singer or she'd be like oh yes and I'm in here because I'm anorexic and I'm actually bulimic and anorexic and blah, blah. and you were like what you're not bulimic you, what how does that work surely they're two separate but yeah and so I don't know at this point I started thinking okay don't really know what's going on with her it's a bit, a bit strange and then basically she became more intense I would say she 
became very, very vocal with staff and very demanding and wanting things. And she took up smoking, I remember, around this time or resumed smoking because obviously before she never left her bed, really, very rarely. So but now she wanted to go out all the time. And so she'd be constantly like, why is no one there to take me out? I need a cigarette. People don't understand. For my nerves, I need to smoke. Blah, blah, blah. I'm anorexic and this is how I deal with things. Blah, blah, blah. She had kind of like one or two or three kind of set drama things like I'm anorexic and part of my anorexia and the reason that I'm in here, blah, blah, blah. Or I'm a famous singer and I need to do this. It's part of my image or and, you know, and you'd so you'd hear these quite a lot. So they kind of stuck with you. And I think basically at this point when she started being quite erratic and again, it was like a third person that I hadn't met before. So it was like Sheila, the depressed Sheila, Sheila, the kind of, I suppose, normal in air quotes, obviously, because it's my podcast or Sheila, who was quite clearly manic. And it became increasingly clear to me that she was perhaps bipolar. So if you don't know what bipolar is, bipolar disorder used to be called manic depression. And I suppose manic depression summarises the two main states of bipolar. So you're depressed or you are in like hyper mode. And basically all of the things I'm going to tell you about Sheila are really great examples of someone with bipolar disorder and how they behave when they are in mania. So other than being really vocal, she became really, really unpredictable as well. So she would just kind of have these very emotional moments and they would be real overreactions to quite normal situations. For example, if she felt someone looked at her funny, then she would just blow up and it would be like a massive thing. Or she would cry hysterically or she'd be like laughing hysterically. She just had really extreme emotions. She began doing things like walking into, she basically harassed the the psychiatrists. (laughs) And it was quite funny because at the time I wasn't necessarily that fond of the psychiatrists that I had based on things that were going on with me, which I'll probably get into in another episode. But she literally would follow her around the ward because obviously before they went and sat their ward rounds, because basically you would only really see the psychiatrists on ward rounds. But sometimes these would like dip in if they had to have meetings with staff or I don't really know but if she was walking like around the ward she would just follow her the whole way around and just talk at her like really loudly like and I don't think you understand but I'm not sleeping and I'm not eating and I need this and I'm anorexic and blah 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 and I need my public need me and blah blah and you were like okay all right then but yeah it used to make me laugh because you could tell this doctor was just like what on earth but she would start going into other people's ward rounds they had to start locking the door to the ward rounds where the meetings were because she would burst in and like demand that the doctor spoke to her about certain things or I don't I don't really know I don't know a lot of the time what the aim was and I don't know if she actually knew what the aim was but I think a lot of it was about having the focus on her and that became kind of almost like a need that she had she was desperate for this level of attention yeah and she just again became really I suppose and at this point I would say that her hope for being discharged was was clearly off the cards and I think that actually knowing that and knowing that before Christmas which is obviously a huge family time and a time when you know you want to be at home basically that things got basically a lot worse with her. Today's episode is brought to you by restaurant.com With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country, which is America, with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Used for dine-in, takeout or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase restaurant.com the best deal every meal 
So she stopped sleeping. So she just wouldn't she just wouldn't sleep. Uh, and this became really quite disruptive for everybody else, as you can imagine, because she, it wasn't like, oh, I've, I'm in, I have insomnia. Therefore, I'm not going to sleep and I'm just going to quietly read my book or watch something on my laptop. Or No, no. She would stand in the middle of the communal area, which was basically the heart of the ward. And you have two long corridors feeding off from this. And she would essentially just kind of shout and give almost like sermons where she would just tell everyone about herself and her life. And I don't even know a lot of the time what she was what she was saying. And then obviously people would get annoyed at this, especially patients who perhaps had slightly shorter fuses than other patients. And they'd be like, shut up, Sheila, stop. And then that would make it even, you know, because I think when she got a reaction, then that really just amped everything up. So it just, it was basically like this pot that just was boiling and boiling and boiling. And you knew it was going to boil over at some point. And it seemed almost like, how can it possibly not be boiling over already? Because how can this not be the point where she'll just be exhausted and then have to go to sleep? But that just did not happen. And I'm talking for like maybe three or four days. She just, she wasn't asleep unless I think they did start maybe giving her sedatives a couple of times because there were certainly a few times where she was kind of not there and you were a bit like what happened and then she was making these claims that she'd been sedated again you didn't really know whether what she was saying a lot of the time was true because a lot of it was very embellished so it's difficult to really tell you and I have to say that that whole period was so so challenging for for me and as I say for anybody else who was on the ward that I don't I don't know exactly how long this period was but it felt like it went on forever so yeah so she was she was giving her speeches she would be singing because obviously she thought she was a famous singer and there was a really memorable moment when on Christmas on Christmas Eve somebody thought it would be a great idea to include a karaoke machine for the ward you know as like a nice thing to do on Christmas Eve and you could just imagine how she responded to that but maybe that's for another time as well it just became really difficult to be around her staff decided that they were perhaps going to try and ignore her I think probably for their own sanity because if you didn't ignore her you'd spend your whole time just being like what are you doing what what are you talking about and what are you doing? So she would then up the up the ante. So the more she was ignored, the more she did more things for attention or for a reaction or whatever. So she would do things like strip naked and run around the ward. That was quite commonplace. And they'd be like, you need to put some clothes on. Because obviously she knew that if she did that, somebody would obviously tell her that she can't do that. So she would do that. And then it again escalated further to her. I remember I came back with Louis. We'd been off the ward I think so I was given a bit more independence at this point and she ha- was standing in the corridor directly in front of the the doors the locked doors to go in and out obviously from the ward and we were waiting for someone to open the door and she stood there and basically stared at me in the eye and just peed herself just full-on peed herself all over the floor and that happened more than one time and again that was something that really rubbed the patients and the staff up the wrong way because it wasn't, you know, she'd be like, I peed myself because I'm terrified of you. Or I peed myself because I'm just, I can't control my bladder. It's part of my anorexia and all of this. And you were just a bit like, okay, but that's just unpleasant for other people. And so people found that really quite difficult. And she would also become really, really intense to be around. Like if she decided she wanted to speak to you, she would literally just shout in your face <laughs> I remember this one woman, let's call her Jane. And Jane was lovely, but she'd been on the ward for like over a year. She spent her whole life pretty much in wards. She knew the drill and she I think she was schizophrenic and was like long term very unwell, but also was a lovely, lovely woman. But she was someone who just didn't have the patience for bullshit. And so Sheila was like talking at her and talking at her and she was like, Sheila, fuck off! Sheila, just fuck off! 
And uh, it was quite funny, I have to say. Not that it deterred Sheila whatsoever, but I found it quite funny because she was kind of expressing how everybody else was feeling, you know. Anyway, uh, she one of the best moments, obviously it wasn't really. I mean, the thing is, right, you were watching this happen and essentially what you were watching was somebody disintegrate in front of you. So you were watching someone who had been such a lovely person to engage with turn into this complete different personality who who just was open to doing anything. She had no boundaries at all, you know, and at that point you thought, thank goodness you're on this ward because if you weren't, I don't know what you would be doing. I don't know what danger you'd be putting yourself or other people in. I just don't know. And it was it was terrifying and it was also obviously tragic and sad and just desperately, desperately difficult in, in all senses, I suppose. But there was one moment when I just thought, do you know what? If I remember nothing else about this ward, I will remember this moment. And again, I'd been out with Ray that morning. And actually, we had been talking about Sheila and he said, I think that she's becoming quite manic. I'm getting concerned for her. And he'd met her because she'd been in hospital before and she'd been on this ward before. So he he had a quite a good relationship with her. And yeah, so anyway, so then we turn up at the ward because before we went, I was waiting for Ray to be ready. And she was there and she was like, where are you going? Where are you going? And I was like, oh, well, Ray and I are going for a walk. And she was like, I want to go with Ray. It's my turn. Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Sheila, if you're calm and if you're dressed, because she wasn't dressed at this moment, then I will take you for a walk when I get back from being with Ellie. And she was like, OK, all right then, Ray. OK. So we got back to the ward and I'm not I'm I swear on my life. I am not making this up. We got back. She was wearing a shower cap on her head. She was wearing a full clown makeup face. Her whole face was made up like a clown, which she'd done herself with with makeup, I think it was. I can't even remember what was on her body. I'm pretty sure she was wearing like a plastic bag, like as a top or something. But she basically just looked just ridiculous, just utterly ridiculous. And obviously she was like, I'm ready to go now, Ray. And Ray was like, no, I don't think we'll be going. And then that obviously didn't end very well. Um, And this is what I mean. It just went on and on. And you thought she can't top this peeing yourself while making eye contact with me. How could she possibly top that? Oh, a clown face and a shower cap. There we go. That's how you top that one. And so, you know, it was almost like it was a laugh or cry and unfortunately because of the situation the fact that I had to live alongside this lady along with all the other patients and that we were locked in together you had to laugh because otherwise you would cry and you weren't just crying for yourself but you're actually crying for her almost because like I say it's just sad that's sad she had no awareness of, of where she was whatsoever and so I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm mocking her because I, I really hope that it doesn't come across that I am because I, I don't I just feel really, really awful for for how she how she was. I do, but I guess the thing is, at the same time as well, you just you can you could not get away from her. I remember um, when she became someone who wouldn't sleep. The next thing was that during the night when you were trying to sleep, which she made very difficult, as I've said. So the longer that this manic state went on, the more irritable people became because she was disrupting people from being able to sleep, which obviously is going to annoy anyone. And obviously in their waking moments, she's loud, in your face, intense, pretty unbearable to be around. And then she started pretending that she was a nurse. And uh, if you were on certain observations, you so I was on 10 minute observations for a long time when I was on that ward. And essentially what that meant was every 10 minutes, day or night someone would come and see what I was doing 
and they would have to check that I wasn't harming myself. And this meant that in the middle of the night, when you were fast asleep, every 10 minutes, someone would come in and they would have to see, particularly for me, because I had a history of ligation of, of trying to strangle myself or whatever. You, they would have to see my neck. So they, every, I'm not joking. Every 10 minutes, they would pull down the duvet and wake me up if they couldn't see my neck. And I am the type of person who has to sleep with duvet over my head. It's just how I am. So basically, and I didn't even consciously do that most of the time. It's just I just woke up. And basically, what would happen is I would be asleep and then all of a sudden, and someone would be like pulling at the duvet and you'd be like what the fuck is happening because obviously you're asleep and then they'd be like you need to not sleep like this and obviously you're like um I'm unconscious what do you want from me but anyway she decided that she was a nurse and she was going to do this and so she started knocking on people's doors in the middle of the night coming into your room and saying checks nurse checks and obviously then she would be followed by the actual night staff and who were like what are you doing you can't do this but that happened quite a lot as well so again it was really reaching a point where patients were saying, look, how can this, how can she be allowed to, to be on this ward? Obviously, it's not a suitable place for her now. She's kind of beyond the care that you're able to provide her because, you know, it, everyone felt sorry for her as well. People weren't laughing at her and thinking, oh, what an idiot. Although, as I say, it was laugh or cry. There were moments of kind of where you had to look at the funny side. But generally, people actually just felt really sorry for her but also were just becoming increasingly intolerant of her behavior because it was just increasing in levels of kind of ridiculousness to be quite honest with you um, and so I think some pushback was coming from patients as well in terms of like come on now how long is this going to go on for this can't go on for much longer we can't put up with this for much longer especially as another lady who I will definitely have an episode on was also I don't know if she was bipolar but Maybe she had a personality disorder, but whatever it was, she was very much a big character as well. And the two of them together were not good. And I think they actually had a physical fight one night. I was asleep, so I don't know. But yeah, it wasn't good. Let's just say that. So what happened essentially is that because she had not eaten much during her time in hospital, she had obviously, as I said, she was very emaciated, very thin. But then when she became manic, she would just eat a lot, like a lot. And I don't know whether that was just because she needed the energy, probably, I imagine. And so she had like kind of a noticeable, I noticed that her stomach, because obviously she was naked quite a lot, so I got to see her quite, you know, in the full. And she, her stomach was starting to become more pronounced. And I just assumed, oh, it's probably because she's putting on a bit of weight because she's not eaten or she's not used to eating loads of food and now she's having to. But actually what happened was that she was pregnant. And I was like, oh my goodness, wow. Because... Obviously, in the state that she was in, it was really difficult to think of her like being able to cope with a child. And actually, during her time when she had been kind of level and normal in air quotes, it transpired that she had had two children with her partner previously and that they had been taken away from her. And what I didn't realise at the time was that was most likely linked to her mental health disorder because her bipolar had affected her whole life and had impacted, obviously, on her being able to live in the outside world. And so essentially... Her life was basically spent partially in hospital and apparently her previous daughters, again, this is just based on what her ranting and raving, because she was literally raving at, by this point. She would talk about how she had spent her previous pregnancies in, in psych wards and stuff 
and she kind of became increasingly paranoid maybe as a result of being so tired maybe or part of her was tired certainly not the part that kept her awake but anyway that she was going to be taken away and that this was going to happen to her and to be honest she was right because that is what happened and I remember they came one morning and I remember she wasn't her usual confrontational self but she was very much kind of quite submissive and just accepted what was happening and they took all of her clothes and and she was taken away and, and I didn't see her again so that was kind of her story and I found it really shocking to think of her as as someone who to me is as much a victim of of their mental health disorder as kind of anyone if not more I think she really was a victim and and suffered and and obviously her children suffered and lost their mother you know or lost contact with their mother as a result of of this disorder what did I learn from her well I suppose the main thing I learned from her what did I learn from her I learned that obviously as I've said previously her mental health disorder was hugely catastrophic and damaging and affected her whole life and I suppose the thing that really struck me was essentially what happened to her as a result of being unwell being mentally unwell behaving and acting out of mental illness was that she was punished and that her life and her children's lives were negatively impacted and she was confined and she was obviously probably further traumatised and damaged by having her children removed and by losing her freedom. And although I don't know that that was necessarily the wrong thing to do, that, you know, obviously she needed to be in hospital, as I've said, it's just really sad and, and tragic that that's actually what happens to people with severe mental health disorders, that almost in response to their mental illness they are punished or or it can feel certainly like a punishment even if it's not meant like one what I didn't know is that there are three different types of bipolar disorder I did and I also didn't know that mania so being manic in the way that she was that can last from three to six months in some cases and depression that follows the mania often can last from six to twelve months without treatment So when you think about the impact on someone's life long term of experiencing that, and certainly third type of of bipolar disorder is this, it's called cyclothmic disorder, essentially means that you just go through these cycles of having hypermania and depression for prolonged periods of, of your life and I suppose that leads very swiftly into what you can learn from her and as far as I'm concerned it's one of the most challenging mental illnesses to understand and to empathize with because a third of people who have bipolar disorder can't work because they just can't because how how could she have worked and operated and held down a job and so I used to find it really frustrating when people referred to me having a disability because I used to think I don't have a disability I don't Louis's not my carer I don't have a disability and I suppose that was me being arrogant and and thinking of a disability as a negative thing certainly for her it really is a disability if it affects you being able to live your life long term not in, not just in a short term one period oh okay you, you were depressed you went to hospital you came out you're, you're sorted no no your whole life is a cycle of you being in and out of hospital of you having to prove your sanity over and over and over again and in response to having spent time in hospital having to pick up your life again start from the beginning forge relationships with people that you've lost contact with try and pursue you know, employment, try and pursue some sense of normalcy. And obviously, the longer that that goes on for, the more difficult that becomes. Uh, And the more used to, as I said last week, you become perhaps slightly institutionalised and used to being in hospital. And so it's it's a it's a depressing scenario for these people. And perhaps if we just had more awareness of them and understanding there there might be more options for these people. And I also think that bipolar is one of those terms that people often use, don't they? Like, oh, she's so bipolar. She's up, she's down, you know. Well, actually, 
when you make references like that, you're normalising the idea of using mental health disorders as an insult or a form of criticism or just using them in a light-hearted manner and hopefully you can see from Sheila's case that really there's nothing light-hearted or joking or particularly funny about having bipolar disorder and therefore we shouldn't use it in, in an offhand manner as, as a comment or criticism of someone's behaviour unless of course they actually have bipolar disorder. Right, it's the moment we've all been waiting for and the reason why, let's face it, you're here. The winner of the Starbucks coffee cup competition is... It's Michaela Brown. Woohoo! Michaela, I will be sending you a Starbucks voucher, so look out for that. It will be in your emails. Obviously, coronavirus-friendly way of doing things. Next week, guys, I'm going to be uh, changing it up slightly and I'm going to be sharing with you the time when, during my award experience, I was moved for a grand total of 24 hours to another ward. It was extremely memorable and may or may not have featured somebody growling at me. See you then!